Hey friends, on this episode of the podcast, I interview Megan Hyatt Miller. Now you probably recognize the name Hyatt. Michael Hyatt and Company have grown and increased really in huge, huge leaps and bounds over the last years. And Megan serves as the CEO with her father, Michael Hyatt. Now, what you might not know as well is that she has five kids. She has a limited work schedule. And I was really excited when she started to talk about the limitations of work. She's put limitations on herself. How do you lead as a CEO of a growing company and care for your five kids? Some of them adopted with special needs in that amount of time that you're given. Oh, yeah. And get off every day at 3.30. I love this conversation. Their heart is for you to win at home, to win at work. How do we do both? And let me just tell you guys, it is possible. I know that a lot of you have a heart to do both. You don't want to sacrifice family for the sake of work or the work that you are called to do for the sake of family. Is it possible to do both, to live and lead as God designed you, to be an identity-grounded leader and also an impactful leader, one that honors your design but also works hard, one that lives out of workmanship but also has valuable and important work to do, and this episode is good news about that. Also, just want to say thank you to our Upstream campaign supporters, whether you're supporting us over on Storehouse and it's $10 a month, whether you're given a one-time gift, you are helping us provide scholarships for at-risk leaders to receive coaching that helps them clarify and experiences that helps them replenish. Guys, we are seeing some incredible results from coaching and experiences. And we want to say to you, our supporters, thank you. Thank you for helping us to be a generous organization, to reach more people, and to be able to see a lasting imprint for these leaders. We don't want to see more burnout stories, hear more stories of leaders starting, closing, and unfortunately walking away from their leadership, walking away from their integrity. We want to see integrity-grounded leaders who understand their identity as sons and daughters and who are working hard and are effective as leaders. That's what we're all about here. That's what this conversation is all about. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Megan Hyatt Miller. Well, Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as we were talking before we started, I discovered that we are kindred spirits. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. I mean, the message of this book that we're going to talk about today is incredible. But first of all, I'm doing a cheers with my coffee. The book is in the world. You you have a book baby and congratulations as this thing is out, I don't know, crawling around in the world and spitting up That's on right. people, whatever books do, but man, so excited. Whatever they for, do, it's doing it. It's doing <laughs> it. It's you. out so there. Excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the work that goes into this and this is really a core message that I hear a lot from you guys. Yeah. Um, and so this is not one that you thought, Hey, we should think up a good message to get it out there. I know that this is one that you guys stake so much claim, not only, uh, in Michael Hyatt and company, but just in your own family, your own story. So excited to, to dig into that before we talk about work and life, uh, in other people. Um, why don't we dig into your own work in life, the challenges, the joys, the tensions that you (laughs) wrestle with and struggle with on a weekly basis. Yeah. Well, thank you. So, you know, I'm a, I was telling you before we started that I'm a mom of five kids. Um, my kids are ages 20 to two. So we have 20, 17, 12, 10, and two. And I married into my first two. We adopted our middle boys from Uganda in 2011. And then two years ago, we adopted a baby 
from Orlando, and uh, now we our family's complete, and it's loud and crazy. We've got all the stages all at the same time, so we're launching adults. We're going into middle school. We're you know doing toddler stuff, so it's all happening. And then that's kind of against the backdrop of our business. Uh, my dad, Michael Hyatt, and I are in business together. We have a company called Michael Hyatt and Company, a performance coaching company, where really what we do there is um, we help leaders and their teams get the vision, alignment, and execution that they need to win at work and succeed at life, which is um, really the topic of this book, what we call the double win, this idea that you don't have to choose between winning at work and succeeding at life. And so, you know, I'm kind of right there in the thick of it, figuring out how to do that, how to build a rapidly scaling organization while shepherding these five kids. And it certainly is a challenge. You know, my uh, three younger kids all have some special needs of one kind or another. And it's actually a big um, part of my story, which I tell in the book, and a big reason why this concept of the double win is so important to me. Because, um, you know, while I want the professional um, success and I want to reach my potential there and, and all of that, I don't want to do that at the expense of my family because the stakes are too high. So anyway, that's kind of the the 30,000 foot view of my life, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. So good. So close to our heart, Megan, here mm-hmm. at Stay Forth, as we um, believe that God has designed us for impact in the world, but we better not forget yeah. um, that our first space is our family. So we love yeah. hearing that. Um, can you take yep. us back a little bit to how sure. um, you came on board as CEO and then are, are in this yeah. awesome role of cultural architect over there? Give yeah. us kind of the evolution of that. Yeah, well, it started in an unconventional way. It was actually kind of began in 2011. Um, My dad left his corporate role at Thomas Nelson Publishers, uh, which is the world's largest Christian publishing company. He was a CEO there for quite a while and decided he was ready to move on and started our business, Michael Hyatt and Company. And uh, at that time, I had just adopted my two boys from Uganda. And I thought that briefly I would be a stay-at-home mom. So I had been, you know, working, of course, and then decided to take about a nine-month break. I thought it would be longer, but realized I really needed some of that kind of outside input, you know, for me to, to really, you know, thrive and be able to contribute my best to them. So I started working with my dad part-time at that point, and it just rapidly increased. And before I knew it, I was working full-time and the business was taking off. And a couple years later, he came to me and he said, Megan, um, I really feel like the next step in this business is for you to become the chief operating officer. And that will enable me to focus on some other parts of the business and build those things. And, you know, I just think it's the right time. And I kind of had this sinking feeling in my stomach. And some of you guys listening will have had this experience where you get an amazing opportunity and it should be nothing but good news. But you realize that you probably can't take advantage of it. You know, we in the book call this the impossible choice. It feels like, okay, I can take this opportunity for impact and really go full tilt toward that, but I'm pretty sure that that's going to mean a compromise for my family or my other most important relationships or my health or something. I'm just not sure I can do it. And so that's how I felt. You know, I thought there's just, there's no way I can say yes to this. And around that time, I heard another woman uh, CEO, actually, at a conference talking about, she's very successful, and she was talking about how following some challenging circumstances in her life that she had made a really tough decision to set hard boundaries and that she was not going to work after 3.30 in the afternoon. She was going to pick her kids up from school and be totally present. And my head kind of exploded. You know, I think that um, you were telling me about this series that you've recently done with women leaders. And I think that for me, that was the first time I'd ever heard another woman leader 
say that they prioritize their family in a public way. You know, I think I had probably believed up to that point that, you know, I kind of had to do that in private, that like the, the male executives that reported to me wouldn't respect me if I was forthright about my family. They wouldn't take me seriously. You know, like I had a lot of those kind of slightly under the surface beliefs. Sure. And that really emboldened me though. And I, I ended up going back to my dad and I said, dad, um, I want to say yes to this. And I really think that I can do this and, and we can do something great together, but I'm going to have to be done at three 30. I mean, I like took her literally you know, <laughs> straight out yeah. of the book. <laughs> and, and I said, I think I can do this, but I need to be done at three 30. I can't work at night. I can't work on the weekends. I can't travel. My boys, you know, really need my full attention right now. If they're going to get to a place of thriving and he was like, okay, if you think you can produce the results, I'm willing to do this as an experiment. And we've never looked back. I mean, it's we've done that for years and years now, and it's done nothing but work. And I actually think this is something we talk about in the book. The book, by the way, it's not about working till 3.30 or 3, mm-hmm. as we do now in our, in our whole company, although that's great if you're able and that's something you want to do. It's really, though, um, we talk about the idea of constraints and those that um, constraints driving productivity and creativity and innovation. Yes. And I think a lot of why um, I've been able to be successful now I'm in the uh, ultimately ended up as the CEO of the company. We've just completed a, a lengthy succession plan with my dad um, and he's not retired. He's still involved in the business, but not in an uh, operational capacity that um, the constraints really made a lot of that possible. I had to make better decisions than I would have, you know, I'd be more creative than I would have otherwise if I'd had yep. all the time in the world. So anyway, it's kind of an unconventional way that I got here, but it, but it's really worked. Agreed. I mean, I, I love that. We say limitation breeds innovation and yeah. the idea of constraints, right? We hate the idea of limits, but like you say, that's the pathway actually to right. that sharpness of a yes or a no. Funny that you yep. say that actually I've just created a summer schedule. My wife's working full-time now, and this is the first time we've both done the full-time thing based on yeah. the stages we adopted. Yeah. We adopted two yep. kids, right? Went from oh, zero wow. to two. And so I yeah. understand those bits along the way. And I literally just this summer said, I'm going to work till three o'clock and then be super present. And so that feeling of terrified of I'm terrified. I don't know if I can pull that off. (laughs) And then it took me a minute to realize what you just said. I was like, what did you say? I love that. What a great word. (laughs) Terrified, right? Both of those put together, but I feel the terrified part first. Can I actually pull that off? And then secondly, man, I'm going to have to say no, but I'm picturing hammocks, with my kids, I'm picturing going on hikes, I'm picturing being more present for those conversations yep. that just happen more naturally than they do, you know, from 6 to 8pm. So yeah, I absolutely right. love that guys, if you're listening, do not miss that maybe go back and listen to that. Because mm-hmm. the constraints that you think are going to kill you many times are actually going to free you. Yeah. And so I just want to make sure we don't miss that we talk a ton about that in coaching. Um, yeah, so many questions from there. Um, but let's talk about overwork first. You call it the cult yeah. of overwork, which I absolutely yep. love. Why do we overwork? Yeah. Well, there are a lot of reasons why we overwork. Certainly there are external reasons, and this is what people usually think of. Well, I overwork because my boss expects me to be in my seat 12 hours a day, or I overwork because my boss calls me at you know 7 o'clock at night or expects me to check my email at 5 in the morning. And sometimes those things are true. Sometimes um, there really are those expectations that we need to deal with and you know, are dysfunctional in, in certain ways. And I want to appreciate that and recognize it. 
But there's also just kind of this, we say cult because there's almost this atmospheric sort of thing going on that culturally is driving us. Um, you know, th- for example, we have this idea that work is the primary orientation of life. And that's, you may be thinking, well, yeah, of course it is, right? You know, like we're either uh, getting ready to work or we're working or we're recovering from working. But in reality, there are at least 10 domains of life. And we talk about this in depth in our book about um, these other domains of life that need our attention. And I'm not talking about they need equal attention. Like if you spend eight hours a day at work, you need to spend eight hours a day on your health or eight, you know, that's not what the idea of balance means. It just means giving the appropriate amount of attention to all the important domains of your life. Because what we know is there's not enough time to do everything, but there is enough time to do the most important things. And we, I'm sure we'll get into that more later, but I think that's one of the big things. You know, the other thing that's really interesting, and this is kind of an internal motivator, is that work is really fun for a lot of us, especially I think for your audience. You know, people that are involved in mission-oriented work, you know, they're not just collecting a paycheck. They're, they're have, they have a sense of calling and purpose about their work. Um, it can be very self-propelled, you know, that you have this sense of, I'm making a difference. There's a lot at stake. I'm living out my calling. You know, this is fun. I feel like I'm made to do this, all those things. And that's good. I mean, that's that's not a bad thing. It's just that it can become out of balance in a way that's unhelpful. And then the last thing I would say, and this is one, this is going to be hard for some of you guys to hear. And I know that when I became conscious of this, it was a, it kind of felt like a gut punch to me. And that is that when we are overworking, sometimes the motivation for that is because um, work gives us pretty checkboxes, gives us a sense of identity, it gives us a sense of accomplishment and recognition, and sometimes it's way easier than home. I mean, I know as a mom of kids with special needs, sometimes home is really hard. Sometimes home is stressful, it's draining, it's long seasons of playing the long game where you're not sure how it's going to turn out. You know, nobody's saying thank you. Yeah. Nobody's saying thank you, mom again, or dad for making dinner or taking me to school or taking me to therapy or whatever, you know? And I think sometimes work can be an avoidance strategy to avoid dealing with just the, the challenges of home. If you're a high achiever, especially, and I think a lot of your folks are, it's not it's not a high achieving environment. I mean, it's a it's an environment of humility and playing the long game and serving and that takes a lot of almost spiritual discipline to stay present for sometimes. So anyway, that that's kind of my thoughts on this idea of why do we overwork? Is there one you know, I mean talk about five principles in the book. We don't have time yeah. and we shouldn't, you know, spoiler alert the whole book. Is there one <laughs> principle right now Megan that you think is more important than the rest? Well, maybe not more important, but more foundational. And so at least when I think about my journey, like what, what was it that enabled me to actually set myself up to get this double win, win at work and succeed at life? So the first principle of, of work or of the book is that work is only one of many orientations of life, many ways to orient our life. And the practice that goes along with that is to design your double win. So that sounds like, well, how do I do that? Well, here's how I did it, and we talk about this in the book, is that I identified my non-negotiables in three categories. So this gets really practical. The book is very practical, very tactical. It's not just big picture or philosophical. 
first of all, I looked at my self-care and I said, okay, I'm a mom of five kids. I didn't have five kids. I had four kids when this started, but now, you know, I'm a mom of five kids. What are my non-negotiables in terms of self-care? I'm not talking about your ideal. I'm not talking about what you would do if you had all the time you needed. I'm talking about what is your baseline for if I'm going to perform, if I'm going to show up for my calling, for my greatest contribution in the world, for my greatest performance, what's going to be necessary for me at a self-care level? And so for me, that looks like I've got to get eight hours of sleep a night. And I know some of you guys have little kids, little, yep. little kids, like new babies. And I just went through that again recently myself, you know, in the last couple of years. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so hard to try to, you know, lead this company and not have enough sleep. And thankfully, we're past that now. But, you know, that's the sleep thing is where it all starts for me. So sleep, water, uh, movement and planning my food every day because I'm one of those people that is inclined to skip meals because I just get absorbed in something and then I get hangry and that's not good for anybody. So <laughs> the, the first area is self-care to think about this as you're designing your double win. The second one is your relational priorities. So when you think about what are my non-negotiables, I know I can't do everything. I can't be at every single thing. You know, I can't do what a stay-at-home mom can do, for example, if I'm leading a company or an organization. So I think that's important to have that, in, you know, in your mind. But what are non-negotiables, even with those limitations in mind? So for me, that looks like I want to sit down with my kids every day, and my husband, obviously, um, and have dinner around the table and talk about our days. Now, does that mean it's fancy? No. <laughs> Last night, it was frozen pizza, you know, on paper plates. That's totally fine. Us too. That's not a... Yeah, we rocked <laughs> it. It's going around. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's not. Um, it, you have to be clear on what's not non-negotiable for you too. So, like, the food is not the non-negotiable part. The sitting down and looking in the eyes for fifteen or twenty minutes is the non-negotiable part. You know, a date night with my husband on Tuesday last night. We went on a date night, and then um, going to church. You know, those are for us. Those are the things that are non-negotiable relational priorities. And then the last one. And these are in hierarchical order for a reason are your professional results. So if we operate from the premise of there's not enough time for everything, but there is enough time for you to make your greatest contribution and you know do all the things that are, are really, truly important, what are those things for you? What are the results that you're responsible for driving in your context? When we get clear on those three areas, our non-negotiables in terms of self-care, relational priorities, and professional results, that starts to kind of sketch out what does a double win look like for you? And then we really get into in the book, okay, now how do you implement and make that happen? But you have to start with vision and clarity or you'll easily get overwhelmed and throw in the towel. So I think that's where it has to start. Yeah, I mean, clarity, we talk a lot about overwhelm. We talk a lot about an inverse relationship yeah. there. Uh, with all of our coaching clients on our Right Setup community, overwhelm we talk about is the villain in the story that is yes. pre-burnout and we're leading there. Yep. Talk about where you see overwhelm right now in our culture. Obviously, as we're mm -hmm. you know coming out of the pandemic, we're heading into yep. a new different. What do you see some kind of pain points, risk factors being with some serious yeah. uh, capital O overwhelm and um, yeah. unfortunately some slide into burnout? Anything we should be particularly aware of as leaders in this yeah. season? Absolutely. And I think this is true for yourself as a leader, and this is true for your team, if you're thinking about them from a leadership perspective. So what I know that I have seen, um, whether it's in our clients or in my own team, is that emotional burnout, the emotional fallout from 2020 is huge. You know, we're talking about having been stuck in an unprecedented, in terms of our lifetime, an unprecedented level of, of stress 
of anxiety collectively, like not just in your own personal life, but like globally, everybody's experiencing the same thing. Um, you know, fear around, am I going to be okay? Grief. I mean, there's these intense emotions that are not meant to be felt for an entire year. They're meant to be felt for, you know, a moment or a short season, not a long season like this. And so what I keep hearing from people is I am so fried. Like people, that's the word they use. I'm just fried, you know, and my self care is all over the place. And, you know, I was just trying to make it through last year and keep my business or my, my organization together and figure out how to pivot for the 14th time, you know, and people are fried. And so what I would say to that is, this is going to sound deceptively simple is that if you don't know where to start, if you find yourself in that place, the most important thing you can do is start with sleep. That is where we get the baseline of functioning and health to get the clarity that you were just talking about, Alan, so that people can then make good decisions, you know, and figure all this other stuff out. If if you've ever tried to solve a problem when you're just bone tired, you can't do it. I mean, like your resourcefulness, as my mom says, she always says, like, you're not at your most resourceful right now. I think, like, culturally, we are not at our most resourceful, you know, and we need rest, like, almost like... um, you know, remedial rest to get back to a place where we have that we've kind of come up to the line of functioning and now we can reimagine what normal looks like now. Is there a time when you were tempted to tap out and quit or maybe even just kind of hit time out on your calling, your design, um, mm-hmm. kind of let us into that moment. What was leading up yeah. to it? Why were you at the edge yeah. of being fried and why were you ready to throw your hands up? Um, yes, definitely. At least a couple of times. And, you know, without getting into too much detail, it really goes back to my kids and their special needs. You know, as an adoptive parent yourself, you know that any kid that's available for adoption comes with, you know, a lot of trauma and a lot of special needs that are you're really entering as a parent into a healing journey. And we have had some really rough seasons on that journey. We've, we've been in it now for over 10 years and it's been tough. It's, it's been um, one of the most important things that we've ever done, if not the most important thing we've ever done as a family um, and absolutely without any question the hardest. And so there have been times when I felt very overwhelmed by that, you know, that when we were in a really difficult season and just thought there's no way I can do both of these things because I'm, I'm in firefighting mode at home and I've got to keep this business going. And, you know, I, can I do that? I don't know, you know, and fortunately every time that's happened, I've found a way to do that. I have a really good team. I'm really open with them and candid. We have a number of other people on the team with similar challenges. And so we have just kind of a culture of it's okay to bring that part of yourself to work. And I think that's really helped. Um, but you know, I, I feel like I'm always on the edge of this is for sure the farthest I've ever been, you know, in terms of those challenges. And I'm, I'm on the edge of what I can do in my own strength. So it's certainly a, a challenge of faith and just remembering it's not all up to me, you know, that, that God is in it with me and ultimately leading and providing. So, yeah. Thanks for letting us in to, to yeah. that piece of your life. And I can definitely mm-hmm. understand and, and empathize with you. Um, yep. You say this, winning at work gives us the confidence, joy, and financial support necessary to support our personal priorities. Succeeding at life, in turn, fosters a clear mind, creativity, and a rested body so we can focus on the work that matters most. This is not an abstract hope. It's concrete daily reality. Talk about a couple of decisions right now, beyond what we've already talked about. A couple of decisions if somebody says, yes, I want the double win. 
What's it going to take to have the double win for the long haul? Right. Okay. So like I said, the first thing is you've got to get clear on what does that mean for you? What is your double win? Because yours is going to look different than mine. It's going to look different than Alan's. Like it's going to look different. Everybody has to sketch this out for themselves. And that's, we walk you through that in the book. Once you have that clear though, now how do we make it happen? Well, First of all, we've got to talk about constraining your workday. And this is the, you know, we talk in the book about the difference between a swamp and a river mm. is banks, yeah. right? That's and good. a river has a lot of power. It, it can it has a lot of force and it can do a lot. A swamp is just stagnant and everywhere. And it's just kind of gross, right? Well, that's kind of like our life if we don't have hard edges. So we've got to constrain our day by deciding when are we going to stop work? And that is like a totally new concept for some of us. You, you know, y'all are, some of y'all listening are like, wait, but how would I get it all done? You won't get it all done. This is where we have to start really thinking about what's most important to get done because not everything you're doing is giving you the same leverage in your organization or the same kind of results. And so we have to get really clear about that. But we, we start to get clear by putting those constraints. Now we have to think about it, right? So for example, my workday is from nine to three. Yours might be from eight to six or nine to five or whatever. The, the time doesn't matter so much as that you decide and you put the hard edges in place. So constraints are are kind of like, you know, battleground number one. Um, the next thing is to schedule what matters. So I talked about non-negotiables earlier in those three categories, self-care, relational priorities, and professional results. Well, mm-hmm. you know, those only matter to the extent that you get those on your calendar. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, Stephen Covey had that, that. You can even find this on YouTube. It's like a terrible old quality video from, I think, the 80s of him doing this demonstration of what he called the big rocks. And he has this glass cylinder that's probably classic. 12 inches across, you know, so classic. And he puts in, he's, he's trying to demonstrate, okay, let's start with the biggest rock first and see how much of this stuff we can fit in. So he puts in these big, you know, probably like four inch rocks. And then he puts in some smaller rocks that are maybe an inch or two in diameter. And then he puts in some pebbles and then he puts in some sand and he has all this kind of pre-measured out. It all fits in there. Well, then he says, okay, let's reverse it. Let's try to put in the sand first and then the pebbles and then the small rocks and the big rocks. Well, as you can imagine, it doesn't fit. You know, once you put all the little stuff in first, it creates this solid mass at the bottom and there's no room for those rocks to, to fit in. And that's just like our life. You know, we have to schedule the big rocks. We have to schedule our priorities, our non-negotiables first in all three of those areas. When we do that, what we find is they all fit. They all fit. What there's not necessarily going to be room for are the pebbles and the sand. And that's okay because those aren't delivering what the big rocks are anyway. But that's a a big part of it. So those are just a couple ways that we begin and we go in depth and exactly how to do this. And we share tools and things like that in the book. Um, But for how do you start to begin to craft this double win in your life? We talked a little bit. You referenced the series that we've just come from um, where we're talking to female leaders exclusively Uh, If you guys didn't hear that, go back. Some incredible leaders have come on who happen to be females, and they talked about the joys and challenges of female leadership. And so I wanted to dig in just a little bit on some of the challenges. Um, If there's a female, continues to push the limits, lead at a high capacity, um, what are some of the unfortunate challenges just simply by being a female uh, that they're likely to encounter? Well, I think there are unique challenges. Um, On my executive team, I have two women who are executives out of my uh, five, and it's fun to talk with them about these challenges because their experiences are very similar to mine. And I think what is unfortunate is that in the world, there's an expectation that you would functionally be a stay-at-home mom and 
leading in whatever capacity you're in. You know, I can remember one time I was in the car line pickup, uh, picking up my then kindergartner, who's now 10, and uh, his teacher saw me and she said, oh, uh, we haven't we haven't seen you in a while. Is everything okay? Well, I had been in that season dropping my kids off in the morning when no teachers were out there. You know, it's just like the one person that, you know, helps the kids yeah. get in, not the teachers. And my husband had been doing the afternoon. And her implication was, you're not being a good mom because we Ouch. haven't seen you around much. Ouch. And in reality, we, my husband and I were totally splitting it 50-50. We were co-parenting. We were partnering on raising our kids. But, you know, there, I actually find that sometimes other women are more judgmental than mm. men, you know, and uh, that that can be hard, that sometimes we get this thing of hitting stay-at-home moms um, against, you know, moms that are working outside the home, and it's just so unfortunate, you know. Um, so I think that can be difficult. But, you know, now I would say the biggest challenge is that I find is that I default to thinking I'm the CEO of my home, too, instead of co-CEO with my husband. Mm. And what we have learned over the years is that it is critically important to negotiate around the responsibilities of our home and our children so that those don't just fall to me. I think I'm naturally kind of more wired to think like that. You know, I'm thinking about their needs. I'm thinking ahead. What do we need to do this week? And who needs an appointment here? And, you know, like culturally, he's just not like kind of been trained or wired for that sort of perspective. But what he's been amazing at is saying, I don't necessarily think about it on my own, but if you'll talk to me about it, I want to share this with you. And we recently did this for, you know, we've done this a number of times, but went back through kind of our list of all the things that we're responsible for at home and realized, gosh, they have gotten unequal again. You know, they're way too weighted on my side. And part of that's just because I've, you know, done some of this stuff and just kept doing it forever and never really sure. examined it. Yep. And he said, I can take that. You know, for example, we were at that stage where our kids are going from, some of our kids from elementary school to middle school and we're going into private school. So we had to go through that whole application. He said, let me take that. I'll take the application process. I'll go to the meetings. There's no reason you need to do that. And I thought, you're right. There's no reason. That's not a non-negotiable for me. You know, there's no reason I need to do that. Or doctor's appointments. I'm yep. in a lot of interviews like I'm doing here with you today or other things that are, you know, less flexible. And he said, I can do more of the doctor's appointments. My flex my calendar is really flexible and it's easy for me to do that. And he's an executive too, but you know, his, just different kind of work. And so he does most of the doctor's appointments or we'll delegate that sometimes to our babysitter. Um, and that's also not a non-negotiable for me. I, you know, that's not something I feel like I have to be there for, but until we had that conversation and asked the question, is it non-negotiable? What on this list is non-negotiable for me? I don't think I had given myself the freedom to let some of that stuff go. So it was really kind of a neat experience for us to do that. And if you've not ever had that conversation with your spouse, um, it, it can be really fruitful. So good. So much practical gold in here. I love that you guys are so practical and uh, yeah. just so appreciate that because leaders are looking for something like, give me something. You've given us thoughts, exercises, questions. And so guys, yeah. if you're listening to this, go back through, listen to this with your team, listen to this with your spouse or a close friend, um, because there's so much gold in here that if you took the next step, this is like a mini coaching session. So appreciate you coaching me and oh yeah, other people are listening. Uh, <laughs> maybe the most important question we ask, we get a little bit violent at the end, okay, of, of the podcast. Okay. We ask questions. So now get, I feel scared. <laughs> I know, as you as you should be. So um, okay. you come face to face with Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, and you've got to take him down somehow, emotionally, physically, oh. any way that you can take Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> down 
Um, again, I mean, heavy, hard question here. I know he saved it to the end, but how would oh you God. destroy the rock? Okay. First of all, I have probably done 25 interviews in the last two weeks. And this is the funniest question <laughs> anybody's ever asked me. So and the most important, so, right? And maybe the most important, should I ever find myself in this situation? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. What would I do? I what I would have said, except for the fact that it's him is I would have grabbed the top of his hair because I learned this in a self-defense class one time and pull it back. Cause if I could knock off a center of gravity, but he has no. all over, but, but he doesn't have any hair. So I'm really, really stumped. I think I would like, maybe, maybe he's ticklish. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do some recon work and maybe, maybe I could take him down by like tickling his knee or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm really going to have to noodle on this. This is, this is a real challenge. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Friends. I've heard some good answers to this but no one has gone the tickle approach yet. So again, you've learned some things <laughs> at home. <laughs> you've learned some things at home. And obviously you are the double win, right? Home is building your work life, also building your self-defense life. So Megan, uh, love what so. you guys, love what you guys are up to. Love how practical uh, these things are. And just want to say congratulations. This is not a short process. Thank you. Uh, this has come directly out of you guys' heart. Win at work. Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. Can't wait to pick this one up. Listeners, this is brand new, fresh off the press within a week of release date. So go ahead and grab this. Megan, appreciate you. Pass that on to the team as well. Uh, we appreciate what you guys do and we're kindred spirits. Thanks for having me. This has been so much fun. Man, love that conversation, uh, especially that last part. I mean, about defeating the rock. You heard it there. She would tickle the rock. I think she's got a really good uh, perspective on so many things. And they're so close to our heart uh, here at Stay Forth. Um, take some notes, share that. There's some leadership gold in there that's incredibly practical. Guys, more of these conversations coming your way. We'll catch you on the next episode. Shot, shot, we focus so long.